Hello, and welcome to the Auditory Chronicles podcast, a monthly program bringing you short tales for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, John McKenzie. In this episode, we bring you an adaptation of a short story published in 1896. We begin with a young woman who seeks the advice of a clever philosopher. The Philosopher in the Apple Orchard, adapted from the short story by Anthony Hope. It was a charmingly mild and balmy day. The sun shone beyond the orchard, and the shade was cool inside. A light breeze stirred the boughs of the old apple tree under which sat a philosopher named Jerningham, who was not much beyond thirty, but seemed older. The wind blew about the leaves of the large volume on the philosopher's knees, and he had to find his place again. The book was a treatise on ontology written by another philosopher, a friend of this philosopher's. It bristled with fallacies, and this philosopher was discovering them all and noting them on the flyleaf at the end. He was not going to review the book, as some might have thought from his behavior, or even answer it in a work of his own. It was just that he found pleasure in exposing any poor fallacy. Presently, May, a young woman in a white frock came into the orchard. She picked up an apple and found it ripe. Holding it in her hand, May walked up to where Jerningham sat and looked at him. He did not stir. She took a bite out of the apple, munched it, and swallowed it as the philosopher nailed another fallacy on the flyleaf. May flung the apple away. Mr. Jerningham, she said to the philosopher, are you very busy? The philosopher, pencil in hand, looked up. No, Miss May, said he, not very. Because I want your opinion, she said. In one moment, said the philosopher apologetically as he turned back to the flyleaf and began to nail the last fallacy a little tighter. The young woman regarded him with amused impatience as she sat down just opposite to him. With a lingering look at his impaled fallacy, the philosopher closed his book, keeping it, however, on his knee. Now, May, I am at your service, said he. It's a very important thing I want to ask you, she began, tugging at a tuft of grass, and it's very difficult, and you mustn't tell anyone I asked you. At least, I'd rather you didn't. I shall not speak of it. Indeed, I shall probably not remember it, said the philosopher. Suppose a man, she began. No, that's not right. She pulled the tuft of grass right out of the ground and flung it from her with all her force. You can take any hypothesis you please, observed the philosopher, but you must verify it afterward, of course. Oh, do let me go on, she said. It's not a real thing, you know. It's in, in a novel I was reading. Suppose there were two men who might be in love with a girl. Very well, said the philosopher. Suppose, then, that one of these men was, oh, awfully in love with the girl, and proposed, you know. A moment, said the philosopher, opening a notebook. Let me take down his proposition. What was it? Why, proposed to her. Asked her to marry him, said May, with a stare. Dear me, how stupid of me. I forgot that special use of the word. May continued. The girl likes him pretty well, and her people approve of him and all that, you know. That simplifies the problem, said the philosopher, nodding again. But she's not in, in love with him, you know. She doesn't really care for him much. Do you understand? Perfectly, acknowledged the philosopher. It is a most natural state of mind. May nodded. Well then, suppose that there's another man. What are you writing? I only put down B for the second man, like that, pleaded the philosopher, meekly exhibiting his notebook. 
May looked at him in a sort of helpless exasperation, with just a smile somewhere in the background of it. Oh, you really are, she exclaimed. But let me go on. The other man is a friend of the girl's. He's very clever. Oh, fearfully clever. And he's rather handsome. You needn't put that down. It is certainly not very material, admitted the philosopher, and he crossed out handsome. Clever, he left. And the girl is most awfully, she admires him tremendously, and she'd, she'd think it better than the whole world if, if she could be anything to him, you know? You mean, become his wife? Asked the philosopher with pencil poised. May cast a glance at the philosopher as she replied, Well, of course I do. At least I suppose I do. But, she continued, starting on another tuft of grass. He doesn't think much about those things. He likes her. I think he likes her. I don't know. Shall we call him indifferent, suggested the philosopher. Yes, rather indifferent, agreed May. But I don't think he thinks about it, you know. But she's, she's pretty. You needn't put that down. I was not about to do so, said he. She thinks life with him would be just heaven, and, and she thinks she would make him awfully happy. She would be so proud of him, you see. And I don't know how to put it quite. She thinks that if he ever thought about it at all, he might care for her, because he doesn't care for anybody else. And she's pretty. You said that before, the philosopher noted patiently. Oh dear, I dare say I did, she recalled. And most men care for somebody, don't they? Some girl, I mean. Most men, no doubt, conceded the philosopher. Well, then what ought she do? May said hastily and blushed as she spoke. Dear me, and it's quite an interesting case, said the philosopher, pondering. Yes, I see. The question is, will the girl act most wisely in accepting the offer of the man who loves her exceedingly, but for whom she entertains only a moderate affection? Yes, just a liking. He's just a friend, May said. Exactly, the philosopher continued. Or in marrying the other whom she loves except... That's not it, interrupted May. How can she marry him? He hasn't... he hasn't asked her, you see. True, I forgot, the philosopher said. Let us assume, though, for the moment that he has asked her. She would then have to consider which marriage would probably be productive of the greater sum total of... Oh, but you needn't consider that, May interrupted again. But it seems the best logical order, defended the philosopher. We can afterward make allowance for the element of uncertainty caused by... Oh no, I don't want it like that, argued May. I know perfectly well which she'd do if he, the other man, you know, asked her. Very good, said the philosopher. Gentleman A has asked the girl's hand, gentleman B has not. Yes, nodded May. Should I take it that but for the disturbing influence of gentleman B, gentleman A would be a satisfactory candidate? Yes. I think so, pondered May. She therefore enjoys a certainty of considerable happiness if she marries A? Yes, agreed May. Not perfect, because of B, you know? Quite so, quite so, the philosopher continued. But still, a fair amount of happiness, is that not so? May considered this. I don't... well, perhaps... On the other hand, if B did ask her, are we to postulate a higher degree of happiness for her? May agreed. Yes, please, much higher. My dear young lady, he said, it becomes a question of degree. How probable or improbable is it? I don't know. Not very probable, May admitted. Unless, unless he did happen to notice. You know. 
I understand precisely, said the philosopher. It seems to me, May, that in that very fact we find our solution. Do we? she asked. I think so, he replied. Gentleman B has evidently no natural inclination toward the girl, perhaps not toward marriage at all. Any feeling aroused in him would be necessarily shallow and, in a measure, artificial, and, in all likelihood, purely temporary. Moreover, if she took steps to arouse his attention, one of two things would be likely to happen. Either he would be repelled by her overtures, which you must admit is not improbable, and then the position would be unpleasant, even degrading for her. Or, on the other hand, he might, through a misplaced feeling of gallantry, a mistaken idea of politeness, or a mistaken view of what was kind, allow himself to be drawn into a connection for which he had no genuine liking. You agree with me that one or other of these things would be likely? Yes, I suppose they would, May pondered. Unless he did come to care for her. Ah, you return to that hypothesis. I think it's an extremely fanciful one. No, she need not marry Gentleman A, but she must let Gentleman B alone. The philosopher closed his book, took off his glasses, wiped them, replaced them, and leaned back against the trunk of the apple tree. May picked a dandelion in pieces. After a long pause, she asked, You think B's feelings wouldn't be at all likely to, to change? That depends on the sort of man he is, replied the philosopher. But if he is an able man, with intellectual interests which engross him, a man who has chosen his path in life, a man to whom women's society is not a necessity, he's just like that, said May, and she bit the head off a daisy. Then, said the philosopher, I see not the least reason for supposing that his feelings will change. And would you advise her to marry the other, eh? asked May. Well, on the whole, I should. Supposing A is a good fellow, he is a suitable match. His love for her is true and genuine. It's tremendous, May acknowledged. Yes, and she likes him, he continued. There is every reason to hope that her liking will develop into a sufficiently deep and stable affection. She will get rid of her folly about B and make A a good wife. Yes, May, if I were the author of your novel, I should have the girl marry A, and I should call that a happy ending. A silence followed, which was broken by the philosopher. Is that all you want in my opinion about, Miss May? He asked, with his finger between the leaves of the treatise on ontology. Yes, I think so. I hope I haven't bored you, Mr. Jerningham, she said. The philosopher replied, I have enjoyed the discussion extremely. I had no idea that novels raised points of such psychological interest. I must find time to read one. May shifted her position till, instead of her full face, her profile was turned toward her philosopher friend. Looking away toward the paddock that lay brilliant in the sunlight on the skirts of the apple orchard, she asked in low, slow tones, twisting her hands in her lap, Don't you think that perhaps if B found out afterward, when she had married A, you know, that she had cared for him so very, very much, he might be a little sorry? If he were a gentleman... He'd regret it deeply, the philosopher replied. I mean, sorry on his own account, that he had thrown away all that, you know? The philosopher looked meditative. I think, he pronounced, that it is very possible he would. I can well imagine it. He might never find anybody to love him like that again, she said, gazing on the gleaming paddock. He probably would not, agreed the philosopher. To crave for love is an almost universal instinct, May. Yes, 
Almost, the young woman said with a dreary smile. You see, he'll get old and have no one to look after him. Perhaps, pondered Jerningham, smiling. But really, you'll frighten me. I'm a bachelor myself, you know, May. Yes, she whispered just audibly. Well, unless... Oh, we needn't have that unless, laughed Jerningham cheerfully. There's no unless about it, May. The young woman jumped to her feet. For an instant, she looked at Jerningham. May opened her lips as if to speak, and at the thought of what lay on her tongue's tip, her face grew red. But he was gazing past her, and his eyes rested in calm contemplation on the gleaming paddock. A beautiful thing, sunshine, to be sure, said he. May's blush faded away into paleness. Her lips closed. Without speaking, she turned and walked slowly away. The philosopher named Jerningham heard the rustle of May's skirt in the long grass of the orchard. He watched her for a few moments. A pretty, graceful creature, said he with a smile. Then he opened his book, took his pencil in his hand, and slipped a careful forefinger to mark the flyleaf. The philosopher had no suspicion at all about the offer of marriage that had just been refused, though he paused once in his reading and exclaimed, That was an interesting case of May's. But I gave the right answer. The girl ought to marry gentleman A. And so the young woman did. We hope you've enjoyed our presentation of The Philosopher in the Apple Orchard, adapted from the short story by Anthony Hope, as read by JT. Be sure to join us next month for another tale of mystery and wonder. In the meantime, feel free to visit our website at auditorychronicles.com for an archive of previous episodes, as well as links to our Twitter feed and Facebook page. For Auditory Chronicles, I'm John McKenzie. Thanks for listening.